top of the morning to you. Guten Tag, Kio Rod, Ni Hao, and a big fat hello to all my beloved listeners. Today is October 10th, 2020. You are listening to Sam Walking in the World, the fastest growing podcast on all of Top Terrace. These are the thoughts of a guy who used to be unhappy, just trying to live like he wants to be when he dies. I wish the same for all of you. I have a whole bunch of stuff to talk about. Builds up over the course of the week. I have uh, mostly some stupid and lifey stuff. Actually, not mostly. A lot of. And I have, um, I cannot help it. I have to talk about politics. And understand that these are just my opinions. And I'll try to, uh, since sometimes they are my arguments. And I try to spell them out in a logical way. I may still be wrong. But at least you'll get to hear kind of my take. Uh, whether you like it or not. <laughs> so, first, I was driving in the car with um, one of the girls that I help. And we drove by a church. And she said that it looked like a castle. And and then she said, a lot of churches look like castles. And we started thinking about it, and they do. And I was thinking, maybe it's because back in the day, churches were sanctuaries. Like there was always somebody chasing somebody. And when they wanted to get shelter, they went to a church. And it wouldn't really do much good if the church was just a battered shack. Church had to be something that could withstand at least some kind of force from the outside. And I bet that's kind of why they do. The only thing they're missing are the turrets at the top, like where the archers would be. And then we got thinking about that. And it led us to, like, people must have got, like, hit in the body with arrows a lot. Like, it was, like, the main weapon. It's like, what would you do if you were like in medieval times and you got you got arrowed in the leg, for example? It didn't hit a vital organ or anything, but it went about two inches or three inches into your quadricep. Like, that really happened to people. Like not just in movies where you see it happen to a guy you don't know during a war scene and then you never see him again. Like imagine like your buddy was like doing something by a castle or trying to storm a castle or something. And he got hit in the leg with an arrow. Now, I imagine they don't have, like, the metal, I don't even know what they're called, but the stuff that makes it hard to pull the arrow out. They're probably just wooden arrows. So I guess you could pull it out, but it'd be very painful. But then you'd have a two-inch or three-inch deep puncture wound. And I bet the diameter is probably at least five, five millimeters. So you pull the arrow out. Now, first you're bleeding. you got to stop the bleeding. Then what? Do you just hope you don't get an infection? And literally, this is what we're talking about. It was like a 20-minute drive. This is all we talked about. And she said, she said, they didn't have antibiotics then. I said, yeah, you're right. They didn't. And then immediately she said, leeches. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. This girl goes on YouTube for pretty much anything she thinks about. I mean, I mean Google. And she watches videos on YouTube. It's amazing what she knows. You would never guess it. And then I looked it up, and it's true. Bloodletting is what they would do. Hope to get that part of the blood that had the infected cells in it out before it managed to go through your body and, I don't know, infect your liver or your kidneys or something. And I was like, God, I, I would really not like to be hit in the leg with an arrow. I would, av- I would avoid it at probably at all costs. But there were probably, you probably, you know, they say, like, look to your left, look to your right. One of those guys probably got hit by an arrow. I don't know why I went down that road, but that is definitely a stupid thing. Um, another stupid thing was this. Not really stupid, but I was thinking about, because yesterday was my 10th wedding anniversary. I'll wait until you're finished clapping. Thank you. Um, but, you know, I still have to live with her. It's not like I, uh, I can do my touchdown dance. Spike the ball. I'm just kidding, honey. Um, anyway, 10 years. And I was thinking to myself, you know what? It didn't feel like 10 years. It felt just like some time. I mean, we're basically, I, I've changed a lot. I've definitely changed a lot. But essentially, we're the same people. We got married. We've grown, kind of. We've grown together, kind of. We've grown apart. I mean, not apart, but separately grown, too. And um, and I was thinking that 10 years just it didn't feel like anything magnanimous. No, not magnanimous. 
monumental. And so I was thinking about where 10 years does matter because I'm teaching 7th and 8th graders. And I was thinking to myself, geez, the difference between the difference between a 35-year-old and a 45-year-old, think of that difference, compared to the difference between a 5-year-old and a 15-year-old. Or a 15-year-old and a 25-year-old. It's crazy. It's crazy. Like, it just made me realize how formative those years are. And how much I appreciate being able to be part of, of 12 and 13-year-olds' lives as they begin defining their world. What's good, what's bad, what's smart, what's dumb, what's healthy, what's not. I, I get to kind of just kind of be alongside them as they make all of those discoveries. And I am a figure in their life. I'm kind of like a character. I want to be remembered well. So I always try to tell myself when I'm teaching. I want to be remembered well. So far, so good, I think. But anyway, that's what I was thinking about in 10 years. So um, I'll move on to um, something else that was funny. Um, my wife and I, to celebrate our anniversary, are going to the casino, the Turning Stone Casino. I love it. I love to play craps. I even like to play slots. I know I'm going to lose money first before all of you start chastising me about how it's foolish and you just lose money and the house always wins. I know that. But it's, it's not true that the house always wins. The house always wins if you play too long or if you play at the right time, which is the wrong time, which all is, I mean, one of them is luck when you play and the other one is up to you when you stop. And there's something called short statistics. And eventually everything evens out and the casino gets the exact same percent they would get every year, more or less. But sometimes when you're sitting, when you're standing at the um, crafts table and there is short statistics can be different than the total average. You can catch a number of things that would are against the odds of happening because it's over a short period of time. And that's just luck. That's just luck. Sometimes you hit it and sometimes you don't. The only way to win is to get lucky enough to catch those short statistics and then walk away. It will even you out. When you're up, you can't get greedy. Unless you just enjoy gambling and, and understand that your loss of that money is really just you paying a fee to have fun. Letting your your biochemistry explode with whatever chemicals it, re it releases when you take risks. But anyway... Um, I'm making pretty good money now doing things that I enjoy. I'm not bragging. I'm just saying it's a very comfortable place to be. I like to give money away too. Like I gave my steps on a hundred dollars yesterday. You're welcome. Um, and, uh, and so, um, uh, we're going to, we're going to go to the casino and, and I was talking to one of my kids about it at school. And, and he said, oh, you're going to pamper yourself? Oh, I told him I was getting a pedicure. I'm getting a pedicure. I wanted a massage, but they're booked up. So I just kept scrolling through other services, that you, treatments you can get, and, and I got to the pedicure. My wife's always been telling me to get a pedicure. She gets her nails done, like, I don't know, every two months or something like that. She always tells me how much I'd like it because I do like when my feet are rubbed. And I'm very tactile, so I don't know. I like touching. Not in a weird way. And so... I'm getting a pedicure. And, the, and one of my students was like, oh, you're going to pamper yourself. And I was like, yeah, I think I am. I think that's the main thing I'm going to do. And we're only going for a day and a night. I will probably have a nice dinner. My friends are going with us. I was like, yeah, I'm going to pamper myself. And I started thinking about it. I was like, you know what? I, I don't know if I've mentioned it on, the, on this show, but I think I have, is that I, my family, uh, the, our, as a whole, we have very small bladders. And so when we drink even a 12-ounce drink or a 16-ounce drink especially um, without having a full stomach, I'm peeing like every 45 minutes. Healthy. I mean, I, I got checked out recently. All the tubes and pipes are good. But I pee all the time. And I have to go get the go to the bathroom. And in a place like a casino, you got to just – they make it hard to get out of the gaming floor. Sometimes they even get lost. I know they do it on purpose. Same reason they don't put clocks in there. 
But anyway, it's what we chose, so that's what we got to deal with. But anyway, I have to walk a long way to get to the bathroom, and I hate it because it interrupts whatever I'm doing. And I was thinking to myself, you know what would be the best way to pamper myself? Actually, the truest and most literal way to pamper myself, you know what it is? Wearing pampers. It's got to be where, the, where it came from. You know, a child is pampered. That way, pee doesn't go all over the place. Just makes it a lot easier. And they do have adult diapers. I bet I could find a good pair that fits and truly, truly pamper myself. I think that would be awesome. I wear loose-fitting clothing that, that probably wouldn't even be noticed. Except for the expression on my face while I'm going. It would be extremely peaceful. And those things absorb. I think it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't even be uncomfortable. It might start to smell. I wear, I wear strong deodorant. Anyway, I'm going to pamper myself. And I'm going to pamper my wife if she wants to wear them. Okay, um, I'm going to talk, uh, after the break, I'm going to talk about explaining to grown-ups. My kids and I were laughing our butts off when we were talking about, because recently I've been helping other teachers um, kind of update their understanding and their ability to use uh, this platform that we're using to teach. And it really does make a lot of things better. It's Google, actually. Um, I don't always agree with Google's leadership's politics, but as a, as a company, as a product, it's amazing. Amazing. Um, so anyway, uh, but something funny came up about explaining things to grown-ups. It's like if your mind has already reached a certain point, it's really hard to teach you uh, as compared to kids. And, and I think kids are even realize it sometimes when they're right in that middle age, like around 11, 12, or 13. So anyway, I'll get to that right after this quick break. Hi, this is a great podcast. Everybody should listen to it. Welcome back to Sam Walking in the World, episode 26. That message was brought to you by Hayden, a man in a boy's body. All right, moving on. Um, so I said that I was I was recently tasked with helping other people um, learn this platform, which is worth learning and not even really that hard. But this is what I've I've recognized when when I'm trying to teach adults. I asked my kids too. I was like, "Have you ever tried to explain a procedure to a grown up?" I, it's funny because I keep myself out of that category, um, unintent, like unconsciously. I'm not a grown up. They are grown ups, which is good and bad. <laughs> but anyway, I said, have you ever tried to explain something like to your parents, for example, like steps to do something on their phone or on their computer, and they make you stop at each step and review all previous steps before moving on? Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. That, what was that first thing? Okay. 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 Then I, wait, hold on. Then I do this one, right? And then I, okay, go ahead. Like they need everything filed manually in their brain, according to like some program that their brain runs on. Kids, of course, all were like, yes. Oh my God. It's like, I just told my dad to Google it now. Um, my dad actually is a good learner though. My own dad. Um, but you can't give them too much. You got to chunk it. We talked about chunking before when teachers pick just the right amount to try to make a person digest without overflowing their cup, so to speak. But I noticed this in teaching 12 and 13-year-olds is they, children, don't bother with trying to manually file information. They just listen if they're, you know, good kids. They just listen and watch. It's also the way that they learn bad habits. They listen and watch. Their undirected brains are like sponges. They just absorb. Well, I think this, this is what the thought that I ended up coming back to is when we try to consciously micromanage the filing of things in our brain, information or processes, we get in our own way. We want to memorize things and, and consciously monitor the input. When sometimes what locks something into place in our brains has way more to do with its place in a sequence with the other parts of the thing. And you don't really get it until you let yourself hear them all. If you keep on jumping in and stopping, then the, the natural pattern doesn't just emerge in your brain. For children, it does. You know, so it, it, sometimes the whole is not just more than the sum of its parts. It's also more understandable. 
Like someone would be like, oh no, too much, too much. Sometimes one more thing and everything would fall into place for the person. Or here's another thing. Fail a few times. Fail. Try the thing and fail. Eventually you'll realize which parts aren't there and which parts need to be either repaired or, or learned anew or put in place or whatever. Just try it and fail. Be like jumping across or jumping on stones crossing a river. If you just went for it and then ended up plunging into the river and having to do it again, you'd know where you need another rock. But anyway, that was really complaining. But it's also fun. I don't even mean it in a bad way. I love watching people learn. Even watching them fail and then try again and learn. It's just a it's like I said, it's a cool thing teaching. I wish Everyone, whatever opportunity that they have in their life, whether children or siblings or parents even, try to enjoy teaching. It's not just getting them the information or teaching them what to do. The process itself should be celebrated. That's what I have to say about that. Now, um, I have a lot to talk about in politics. But before I do, um, I want to uh, share a few things that um, I think you might get a kick out of. I'm going to take a quick break, and then I'll be right back. As always, that was my boy, Milky. He's doing well. Um, actually, he was a little concerned. He um, uh, The other day, he, because this, this podcast is growing, and more and more things are being included, and um, he was a little bit worried that he was maybe being edged out of the show. And I had, to, I had to remind him that he and I were together from the beginning of this, and that uh, I have great loyalty to him for his support of me. And he was just, you know, he was just mowing about how he's worried and he's got a family to, to feed. And, um, and I just, I wanted to let him know. And I'm telling him again right now, Milky, you will always be with me. So moving on. Here are a few things that I think you'll find funny. I hate radio car commercials. Hello, Syracuse, it's Jeannie from Lowry Brothers Jeep inviting you to come out and check out our new 2019 Jeep inventory. It's so personal when they address me by the name of my city. And, and Jeannie, do I really need to know her name? I want to call them up and be like, uh, yes, may I speak to Jeannie? Oh, can I tell her who's calling? Yes, tell her it's Syracuse. And um, I'm calling to return her personal invitation to come check out the new 2019 Jeep inventory. Yes, I'll hold. <laughs> and and here is another thing. I was home the other night, and uh, I didn't feel like cooking, so I uh, I decided to order a takeout from this seafood place that's down the street. They said people say they're really good, so I called up and I said, you know, I'd like to order a pound of fried clams, please. And the guy said. Name? I said, uh, Sam. And he said, uh, oh, okay, uh, it's a pound of fried clams. Anything else? I said, nope. He said, all right, Sam, we will have those clams ready for you in three and a half minutes. <laughs> three and a half minutes. Like, first of all, you're bragging. Like, uh, our ultra deluxe supercharged fryer will have your clams ready before you can back out of the driveway. And that, that got me thinking, like, even if I leave now, there's no way I'm going to be there on time. So, and what's the three and a half minutes? Like, uh, like are, are they timing these cooks with like an Olympic stopwatch? Like three minutes, 30 and 5,600 seconds. So I, I said, oh, that's it. He says, all right, then uh, we'll see you when you get down here. I said, all right, I'll see you. And then I, I was like to myself, I was like, yeah, uh, okay, but while I have you on the phone, I just got to warn you. You know, I'm, I'm probably going to be late. I'll get there. And, and the guy will be looking at his watch, disappointed in me. Like, you know, your clams have been sitting here for six minutes and 21 seconds. And before I get to the larger things, I would like to introduce a new segment. This is brought to you by Talkative Frankie, who talks a lot. He's going to be doing some sports analysis for us, so uh, I think you'll like it. 
Welcome to brand new segment from Talk to Frankie Talks a Lot. It is Prove Me Wrong. Today's Prove Me Wrong, Jalen Ramsey starts way too much beef in the locker room. You see, Jalen Ramsey has a history of doing this, and after that Golden Tate tackle, let's just say Golden Tate was Ram. He started talking smack. I'd be hyped too if I made a tackle like that, but still, you ought to keep your composure. It's a fair game. You can't be doing that. And at the end, they turned it into a giant brawl. Let's just say the Rams, they could have been turned into lamb chops. So I disapprove of what Jalen Ramsey is doing, his antics, and his just behavior. And that's why they traded him away. Because he has a history of doing this. Thank you. Talking to Frankie Talks a Lot is done. Thank you very much. Talking to Frankie Talks a Lot for that contribution. Now, I'm going to get to the big stuff. All right. I think you guys have pretty gotten a pretty good idea of where I stand um, on political issues. Which, to me, are actually philosophical issues. Um, principles. Um. And if, if any other candidate were in favor of them, I would vote for that candidate, support that candidate. But watching people try to articulate principles that I don't think make any sense. Um, you know, you can usually tell who isn't on the pulse of what most people think and do and feel. If you have to, if you have to veil what it is that you say or believe in. You know what I mean? If you suspect that, that a mi- only a minority of people believe the thing you're actually going to try and do if elected, then you have, to, you have to veil what that is. And it can be very awkward and sometimes very obvious. I believe that is true in the case of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Um, now, first, I want to say this. And th- uh, my conservative friends are going to be upset that I say this, but there is a lot of good, I think, that might come out of a Biden win. Now you're all thinking, what? He's going to wreck the economy. He's, he's going to take down the wall. He's going to, but, and maybe, but I don't think actually he would do that much damage before there was a kind of an, an inter, a countervailing force. And I don't mean violent or anything like that. I just mean people would realize what kind of car they bought. What do I mean by that? Um, liberals. Liberals might realize, people who vote liberal might realize that they're not getting the things that they actually want in their life. Without mean orange man to blame, if the, if the uh, policies, the ideology is put into policy, I really think that people would not like it. Outside of the realm of politics, I'm talking about like in their personal life in a way that it affects them. Like, like, who really wants less policing? The, what I would think at the top of the list of people who don't want policing is criminals. I, I don't fit in that category, so I don't mind them to be all over the place. I want my constitutional rights, but I think most people want police. Um, I think most people are getting tired of being told that they have this nebulous privilege no matter what their their status in life is, if they happen to be white. And male, especially. It's just, I think people are getting sick of it. In their actual lives, they see kind, generous, good-hearted white people. I'm not, I'm not believe, believe me, I'm, I, I hate white supremacists. I hate neo-Nazis. I think they're just as nuts. I've actually talked about that in previous episodes. But I think that people that are just regular regular white people, lower, middle, and upper class, are tired of being told that they have this invisible privilege. Um, I think most people don't want higher taxes. I, most people want more money. You want more money or less money? Um, more. Wait, 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 uh, yeah, more. I don't get it. And I also know from personal experience that the government doesn't spend money wisely. You know, when there isn't a, a, a quality control or a profit motive or a bottom line, that's why people don't want government health care, because they know that it would underbid private health care, 
private health insurance because they have an endless supply of money. Of course, they can afford it off for it cheaper. They're not really a fair player in the game. And then they end up in control. They decide when you get this or that procedure, when you can see the doctor. I don't want my government having that control. That's really why people are upset about that. It's not that they don't want uninsured people to stay uninsured. But anyway, I think most people want their health care. Um, I think most people don't want more green restrictions. No, you, you can go stand on the corner with a flag and talk about how much you want the environment to be better, which it is always getting better. Our carbon emissions just keep being reduced through the regular market process because everyone does want clean air, clean water. You know, everyone doesn't, everyone wants to not destroy the ozone layer. And so things, aerosols have gone away. You know, cars have gotten much better at, at emitting less pollution, factories, recycling. But the, the ridiculous green restrictions like that, that would be necessary in order to eliminate fossil fuels by 2050. Are you nuts? Honestly, are you nuts? If, if, when people actually think about that. And I, here's the other thing. Most people don't realize that the batteries that they use in their cars that they're so proud of usually get their electricity from coal fire plants. Coal. Just because you don't see it and you see a battery doesn't mean that it wasn't from a fossil fuel. Now, not all of it is, but a lot. Look it up. And and I don't think more people. I don't think people want more COVID shutdowns. I think they want to protect the older people, hurry along the virus, and then with with that in mind, also be as free as you can. I'm for wearing masks. I wore a mask all morning when I was out and about. But shutting down businesses again, I don't want government control over that. And I just think maybe liberals will be better connect, but will better connect their lives to their political opinions if they end up having to live under those conditions. You know, and maybe they'll change their idea of what's news, all that stuff that made them feel like they had to vote for Joe Biden and, and Kamala Harris is really probably going to be the president sooner rather than later if she if they win. That's how I feel about that. That might be something good that comes from a Biden win. Um, here's another thing, which and that leads me to the media. Maybe they'll question the news source that they have. Um, why does the media lean so much further to the left than they live? Famous, especially famous media people, anchors on these channels, they're very rich. They fly all over the place. As far as I know, they're not riding bicycles when they travel. Is it like they get to do it? They're not living this whole reduce your carbon footprint thing. They want us to. So it seems like it comes back to the middle class. The average person has to do it. And the average person really, in many cases, can't afford to do it. And the wealth gap. It's another thing. These people are very rich, complaining about a, a, an unequal distribution of wealth. Just go outside with your wallet full. And find somebody who you can tell has less money than you and give it to them. Do it every day. You could actually reduce the wealth gap yourself. But they don't do that, as far as I know. Here's another one. They rage against fascism. Right? But at the same time, they forget they're legally allowed to rage against fascism in this country. You can rage against anything. You can call your president any name you can think of, and people aren't going to come to your house in the middle of the night. That's what fascists do. Just, to, I hope this fact is not lost on them. Here's another one: borders. I bet if you if you if you took a a sample of wealthy news people, media personalities, I bet they all live in gated communities. But they're against having a border for our country. It's like they apply the concept of borders in their personal life. But politically, they want no border. It's just they're not living the way their politics are. Anti-gun. These people are very anti-gun, gun control. Yet, if they're famous enough, I bet they have an entourage of armed guards. 
And I bet they hope that if someone were to try and kill them, that the armed guards would shoot them. Just walk around without your guns. If you really believe there should be no guns. And here's another thing. They're also anti-evangelical. They tend to have this bent against religious people. Like Amy Coney Barrett's going through it right now. But they always cite their faith when it's expedient. I'm a person of faith. It's like, okay, where are you living it? Where are you living it? I don't want to get into details about that because I don't want to talk about abortion and everything else. But, my God, these people are hypocrites. So, and that's why I don't mind a rich person who's who's not ashamed of being rich. Thinks it's okay for other people to be rich. Cuts taxes on people and businesses so maybe they have a chance to get rich. I don't even want to be rich. I just want to have enough money to be able to live my life in a comfortable way. Not even comfortable. I don't even mind being uncomfortable. I just, I just think the government is bad at doing things, and it should be, it should do as little as it has to. And I agree that it has to do some stuff. But I live in a state where, I live in New York State. It is a bureaucratic, monolithic monster. And I remember just a little while ago. Uh, Mario, I'm not Mario. <laughs> Andrew Cuomo was was trying to get um, financial relief for New York State during COVID. He wanted a, in, in addition to wanting help to handle COVID, which he got tons. He wanted a, a like a budget bailout because the state is in such debt. He wanted money to to help just the state relieve its debt, pay its pensions. From contracts that it made, um, money, money to to do ordinary things that were were already spent on something else. When their tax collect the the amount of taxes they collect, their revenue that's what I'm trying to think. The revenue is humongous. Probably, I think next to Massachusetts, we're the highest taxing state. Maybe California's got to speed, but they suck too. So anyway, Cuomo's seeking a federal bailout in addition to the COVID relief. This is probably like, I don't know, two months ago. Um, but I heard him talking, and I couldn't I couldn't help but be like, you are a word I won't say. But he believes he deserves it, the money, from the federal government, basically from Trump, from us. I wonder if this, if this state is so well run by its perennial liberal administrations. We haven't had a a Republican governor since Pataki. Or dinosaurs around. But I wondered to myself, if this state is so good at running itself, what would it look like if New York were to try it on its own? It acts like it it's such a benefit to the rest of the country because, because of all the um, taxes that it sends to, to Washington. It collects a ton of taxes. It supplies Washington with those taxes. But I, I honestly don't know what that balance is. Because we're, we're always in debt. But So I thought, what if they were to try it on its own? And I thought, considering its current policies, my guess is it would not go well. It's always like that threat. Like, we're going we're gonna to do it on our own. Even the city. New York City says that they'll separate from the state and do it on their own. But... This is how I picture it. Um, the People's Republic of New York would be, I imagine, it would be like it is now, fiscally insolvent. Because it, it discourages economic investment. It does that right now. It has confiscatory taxes and regulations. That means it makes it very hard to invest your money and make a profit. Um, it's, it's liberal leadership wants unlimited immigration. That seems to be their stance nationally, and I bet in New York, too. I, I don't know if we're a sanctuary state. I think New York City is a sanctuary city. And I don't have anything against immigrants that come here legally. But that immigration would drive down wages. Because the, the, the people coming from those countries with such a lower standard of living would work for less. Which, in ordinary circumstances, is good because, as as a labor market, you want to be able to offer your services 
at a low enough rate that you get hired. But it would drive down wages. It would compromise also in national security. People coming in that you don't know who they are. Like, have we not learned from that yet? Um, it's political. New York, the, the People's Republic of New York would, I'm sure, have a politically correct law enforcement policy. Which I think would, as we already see, crime would go up. It would probably make expatriates out of law-abiding citizens. The People's Republic of New York's education system would allow city school districts to remain little more than extensions of government-dependent welfare states. I've been there. I've seen it. It, The People's Republic of New York's pacifist foreign policy would lead it to be vulnerable, I bet, to global threats. It would be out there on its own. It would also allow an unequal balance of trade. Because that's what seems to be what they what they're okay with nationally. They don't mind they, they don't mind the deals. They don't they don't agree with Trump changing all these trade deals to benefit the United States. Because that's I don't know what uh, jingoistic, xenophobic, and financially intelligent. President Cuomo would either be voted out or overthrown by a revolution if he had, if he was the president of the People's Republic of New York. It wouldn't be long. Mark my words. Not that we'll ever see it, but it wouldn't be long before the country of New York would be an unsafe, poverty-stricken, third-world wasteland, probably begging the United States to annex it. I'm sure some of you out, out there disagree, but that is how I feel. And I'm going to take a quick break, and when I get back, I'm going to talk about... Uh, some of the how relevant details right now seem to be the enemy of the Biden Harris ticket. Relevant details, I think that's kind of their enemy right now. I'll talk more about that right after this. Welcome back to Sam Walking in the World, episode 26. During that short break, I managed to go to the Turning Stone and enjoy an evening at the casino, a wonderful dinner, and, and an excellent night with my wife. And um, we ate at uh, Pino Bianco's Italian place, and we got the chef's table. I don't know if that was an arrangement someone made on our behalf, but it was awesome. We got to watch the chef cook. He brought us special little things. And maybe it was because it was our anniversary, maybe not. But it was really nice. I recommend Pino Bianco. I had the veal o sabuco, Milanese. But Speaking of my anniversary, I don't know if you remember or if you, you were around um, during the episode when I talked about how I, I missed a year of my life. Well, I didn't really miss it. Um, I just didn't know how old I was. I thought I was turning 49 um, in the September that I actually turned 48. And I remember asking, telling my wife, you know, you're 49, you can deal with it because she's like a few months older than me. She said, no, I turned 48. You're going to be 48. And I was just so down and out during that period of time. My, my hips were shot. I was in pain all the time. I hated my job. On and on and on. I think I've said that a thousand times. But I forgot how old I was. And I, and, and I also forgot a year of my marriage. I told you all that my anniversary was a 10-year anniversary. It's actually 11. My wife had to correct me about that, too. She wasn't very happy about it. Actually, she really doesn't care. I think she just loves me and is happy that I love her back, that we love each other. So uh, I, I got forgive, forgiven for that, and I, and I took her out to a very nice evening. So, um, um, oh, oh, I know what I was going to talk about. See, I'm so relaxed now. Um, I'm on, except I signed up to get a, a, a massage at the place they have, because I've been kind of tense lately, which you probably can hear in my voice. And um, I booked it online, and it said all massages were unavailable. So I checked. I wanted something to pamper myself besides my, the pampers I was wearing. So I was going to switch it to a pedicure. My wife's been telling me. And I signed up for the pedicure, and I got there, and the pedicure place was closed, too. So I'm like, I think the Turning Stone needs some help with its... Uh, it's a website. Um, anybody out there that uh, 
is good at websites and wants to go tell them how bad they are, make some money fixing it, I think you'd probably be able to do it. It feels like it haven't hasn't changed in like eight years. But that is neither here nor there. Um, what I wanted to talk about was um, how details appear to be the enemy of the Biden-Harris ticket. And what I mean by that is this. Relevant details seem like the missing part of many Democratic criticisms of, of the administrative actions of Trump in the administration. Not his big, rude orangeness, but his decisions administratively, what he's done in foreign policy, what he's done in the economy, um, what he's done with COVID, um, things about the Supreme Court. I'll go into some quick relevant details right now. Um, first, uh, I want th- notice this comparison. Apparently, the idea of whether or not somebody has nefarious dealings with a foreign power, especially, uh, um, I don't know if it's an enemy, but, you know, an an opponent, um, an adversary. They may even be enemies. I mean, they're trying to hack us all the time. So, I I don't know. I guess we can count them as enemies. We're not going to war with them, but we're going to other kinds of war with them. Like digital. So, anyway. The details of exactly how Trump was dealing nefariously with foreign governments. With foreign governments. Trump dealing. And it occurs to me, after all this investigation of whether or not he was colluding with Russia to to affect the election, um, it turned out that there wasn't any. And those are some I don't know about. They spent millions of dollars trying to find out. And I'm sure as much as they hate Trump, they would have hanged him with something real that they found. Guys like Brennan and Clapper, um, you know, the heads of the intelligence community. And um, and they didn't find anything. Now compare that amount of information that they had connecting Trump to nefarious dealings with Russia or other governments, Ukraine. Compare that to the details of Joe Biden using his influence as VP an arbiter of billions in aid to Ukraine and his son's Hunter's financial benefits from what, in all honesty, should have been conflicts of interest in dealing with China and Russia. Like You're the son of the vice president and you're getting sweetheart deals and you can't really demonstrate any skill that you had to earn them on an open market. And you, you, and I mean, kind of followed his father to China and did business with the Chinese government, and then he did business with Russians. There are actual details. No one's arguing whether or not he accepted three and a half million dollars from a, a Moscow billionaire who's connected to Putin. Why? Even we don't even got to think about why. Just that it happened. That counts as a relevant detail, and it's being completely ignored, or you know, kind of swept under the carpet. So I, I feel like relevant details in that c- comparison, that issue, they seem to be the enemy of the Trump, I mean of the, uh, the Biden-Harris ticket. And I guess we just stopped talking about it. There wasn't anything that we could use to hang Trump, so let's just go on to something else that might be have something in it that we could use to hang Trump. Whether you like Trump or not, I'm talking about the actions. How about a comparative look at COVID? I haven't heard a single detail, and it was kind of called out during the debate. I haven't heard a um, I think Pence caught Harris saying that that uh, the Trump administration screwed up the handling of COVID, and he asked them what what they what they would do differently, and they said, as though it was different, literally exactly the same things that the Trump administration has been doing. And I think Pence called it plagiarism and took a shot at, at Biden because Biden was. Found, you know, to have plagiarized actually several times. Plagiarized the whole speech from this, uh, I think it was an English guy in Parliament. Literally, word for word. He said, you got to look look into it. Look into Biden plagiarizing speech. Um, it's uncanny. And that is a pretty relevant detail. That they can't find anything different that they would do, but he screwed it up. Maybe he didn't wear a mask enough, like, like, Trump infected all of us with COVID. 
And I grant you, he could have been more judicious about showing people that wearing masks is the right thing to do by wearing it. And we do look to him as a, as an example of what we ought to do since he has all the information. You know, his choices ought to affect our choices. But not to the degree where you can say him not wearing his mask enough. I mean, he, he paid a price for it, too. He, got, he ended up getting COVID. And he ended up recovering from COVID. You know, which a lot of people are rooting against. And so the details of that comparison suggest that, you know, the, the advantage in that argument goes to the Trump administration, as far as I can tell. And, and, and uh, Pence did a great job of pointing out that, that Trump closed the border with China. And they actually have footage of Joe Biden calling it xenophobic and saying he wouldn't do it. They have video footage. Watch it. It's, it's a pretty relevant detail, but it gets dismissed. Not enough there to hang Trump. Let's move on to something else. And then on constitutional issues, like packing the court, uh, eliminating the filibuster. Filibuster means you have to get 60 votes to have something go to the floor for debate and then a vote. And it protects the minority. If it can't get 60 votes, it can't get at least somebody from the other side. Then... It doesn't happen. And that protects the, the minority from the majority mob, they call it sometimes. A great example of the majority mob and trusting just pure majority is this. Imagine three people are, are stuck in an elevator, two men and one woman. The two men, under pure democratic policy, should be able to do anything they want to the woman because they voted and they won the vote. So that's wrong. So you need some kind of mechanism. And we have one. It's called the filibuster. They're thinking about eliminating it. And adding states, Puerto Rico and the District of Columbia, which they believe would be Democrat states, so it would add two senators. And the Senate is so tight right now that one or two votes could make the difference on every single bill. So basically they would just, they would make modifications to all three branches of government. The legislature, they would have the they would have the uh, executive. They would have so that the bills could be signed into law. They would have the legislature because of the extra senators, so they could write any law they want, like getting rid of the filibuster, like adding judges to the court, and in doing so, they would be, um, you have to say, modifying at least in their favor the third branch of government, which is uh, the judiciary. That that's pretty nuts. And I don't feel like any of that is made up. Those are details. You ask either one, Joe Biden or, or Kamala Harris about it, and they will not answer the question. Obviously, you've seen it a million times. I'm, I'm not making that point for the first time. But that shows you that when you ask for the relevant details in those issues, they can't say them. And like I said earlier, they have to veil what it is they want to do. And it's ridiculous the way Biden makes up excuses for not answering it. He actually said, if I answer that, they're asking him, are you going to modify and, in, in, in their view, destroy the one whole branch of government so that it becomes political and then it basically just becomes like a super Congress? Because that'll come back and bite you. And it, it almost dis it, it, it connects two branches of government that are supposed to be disconnected. The legislature, actually all three, kind of connects them all. So imagine one party rule with control of all three branches and no checks and balances. Who is it out there that's fighting against fascism? Oh yeah, the left. It's dangerous what they're doing. They want to win the political argument more than they want the game to be fair. They want to, as I said many times, they want to shoot the referee because they're losing the game. And it will come back and bite him. It's so short-sighted. Um, all right. Um, I've run out of uh, time for this episode. But I'm going to also get into the 25-minute video um, of Michelle Obama endorsing Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. And I have some a few comments about that. I Honestly, I don't have a very high opinion of Michelle Obama. 
and then I'm going to talk about the Russian probe declassification, all the information. Brennan literally briefed Obama on Hillary's plan to make up stuff about Biden, I mean about uh, Trump, so that defending himself would distract him from her email thing. And it didn't work. That's why I have a very strong feeling that all of this hoopla and, and all this attention that the left is getting right now for all the stuff it's doing, there are, I saw lots of people, even when I was at the casino, I saw lots of people who are just ordinary Americans and, and I can just sense that they're conservative. Some of them, I mean, you know, most of them actually just, I, I look at them and I think to myself, it's very unlikely that that person either pays that much attention to politics or pretty much only cares about the economy. And, and, and 56% of the American people in a recent Pew poll said that they are, their life is better today than it was four years ago, even with COVID. So the, the real actual reality out there, I think, is severely disconnected from the polls. And I think we're going to see it. I, I could be wrong. We'll go back to this if I'm wrong. And I'll admit I'm wrong. Maybe I was just, I completely misread the tea leaves. But I think that Trump is going to win in a landslide. I don't think he'll ever win New York or Massachusetts, But <clears throat> there'll be some states in there <clears throat> that we're told he's not supposed to win. And there's enough people that like the way things are going. And they almost, I think a lot of them, find this this. Change this change that the Biden mostly Harris ticket are going to make to the Constitution to our lives. So, you know, I what, what I said about it being maybe some good coming out of Biden winning, I was being sarcastic um, because I think it would do damage, but I think it would be stopped. I think as soon as people started to feel it, like the way they started to feel Obamacare, and they said, "What? Um, this isn't really the way you described it." Now imagine them finding out that something isn't the way they described it, and there's one party rule that has power of all three branches. They have no redress. We have, that's dangerous. That's fascism. But I'm sorry, I get, I get into it a little bit because I'm passionate about it. But I will talk about that um, in my next episode. As always, I thank you all for listening all over the world, and uh, I will see you next week.